Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine for May 9th, 2021. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, and before we get deeper into our show, if you heard the end of last week's show, if you looked and saw what was coming up, um, which we appreciate our uh, listeners that do things like that, Evan Scrimshaw, uh, was going to be our guest uh, this Sunday. We're excited. He's got a new Substack project. He's all the time doing election projections throughout the world. He literally did an article on an African nation's upcoming elections. Um, he was going to be our guest. We're quite excited to talk to Evan. But on Friday afternoon, uh, he had an accident and had a pretty significant leg injury, and he was so thoughtful that one apparently one of the first things he did from the hospital was let us know that being on would just not be doable. Um, so in addition to letting you know what a conscientious guy Evan is, um, we wanted to let you know, uh, wish, you know, wish him a speedy recovery with this leg injury. Um, he promised he would be on a few weeks from now when things were better. Uh, we're excited to have him then, but we obviously want to give him the space and time to heal up, and um, we checked around a little bit. I didn't try too hard because I knew I wasn't going to do as well as Evan. Um, so we we just are going to have the topics we have, and, and there's quite a host um, this week, and a lot of them came up kind of late in the week anyway. So um, we are going to get to that. And the first one was, I want to say it was Thursday. It may have been Friday. Uh, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, a real rising star in Georgia politics, announced that she was not running for re-election. And, Catherine, as a resident of the city of Atlanta, I'll let you have the first say on your thoughts about that. Well, I think we were all surprised to hear it. Um, you know, she, she announced not, you know, a few months ago that she was going to run. She's, you know, she had a pretty um, uh, well-publicized, virtual fundraiser with uh, President Biden uh, not that long ago. Uh, so I think a lot of us were taken by surprise. I uh, watched the press conference. Uh, it was, I can't remember now if it was Thursday or Friday. Anyway, I watched it. Um, I mean, as she said, you know, I agreed to, I agreed to four years. I've done. I will. I will do my complete four years. Uh, but when, when someone, when a candidate decides or decides not to run again, um, it's a it's a it's a decision. And I and I thought long and hard about it and discussed it with my close friends and and confidants and decided not to run. Um, I mean, I I can only imagine that um, how difficult the decision was. I think she really does love Atlanta, and uh, 
she said that it was the best job she ever had. But, um, I mean, there had, I, I, I don't know if there's more to the story. I imagine there is than what she told, but, uh, I'm sure it's going to end up being a clown car of candidates as we go forward. Yes, and we're going to get to, you know, what's next in a minute, but I do want to discuss it from her uh, political perspective. Um, Tim, your thoughts on, you know, when we heard this announcement late in the week? Well, that was pretty shocking. That was a big surprise. A few months ago, I mean, we're talking about uh, a person who was vetted to be the running mate to President Biden. Uh, she was that well thought of and uh, truly a rising star in the party. Uh, she said she had written two letters, one to run, one to withdraw, and apparently decided late to publish the withdrawal. Uh, she talked about us people, you know, in the city and in the country. She said this in no way was due to family reasons. She made allusions to that massive cyber attack they had to deal with down there. Um, racial justice problems, you know, the unrest and stuff last year. Uh, and the madman in the White House. Uh, and no, she's not talking about the present president either, the the previous one. Um, many people have been musing that perhaps this had something to do with the crime rate in Atlanta. Would you know anything about that, David? I know that that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, she's had to handle. Um I obviously was surprised, too, and I will say this. She said that she had polling that shows that she was in good shape for reelection. I'm going to take that at face value. Um, you know, somebody could have, I guess it would been nice if somebody ran and did a poll, um, you know, a month ago, or maybe somebody had a private poll and it showed that's true because it's better to go out into your own terms than thinking you were going to be forced out. Um you know, there are a lot of facets to a job like that. There's economic development, there's civic development, and I really think she liked those parts of the jobs. I think she was somebody that really enjoyed, you know, recruiting and trying to bring, you know, new businesses and developments to Atlanta. Like just in the past week, they finally, I guess, finalized that deal that's going to be how many billion dollars? Do you know, Catherine, the property that uh, termed the Gulch? I think it's something yards because it's a traditional um, railroad loading and unloading area, and they're just going to transform that into living, shopping, business area that's just going to be a massive uh, undertaking. And you know, she's kind of that's been one of her signature things. Do you know how many, how much money's involved in that project? I don't remember money it is. Yeah. But that seems like the kind of thing she likes. I mean, you know, when, when they opened Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and that may have opened before she uh, took office, yeah. but um, but the, the yards, when they tore down the Georgia Dome and they built um, Home Depot backyard, and it's this park space, I think that's the kind of thing she really yeah. enjoys doing. And, and you know, dealing with um, a lot of the policing issues is just really not fun for probably any mayor. 
Um, it, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. It's kind of a minefield. Tim? Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, the, the uh, Officer uh, Garrett Pulse situation. Uh, you know, he was ordered to be reinstated because the uh, city had made several errors in, you know, uh, discharging him. I, I wonder if that had anything uh, to do with this. Well, I, mean, I guess all that fits in. It's, it's this tension between your police force, your citizenry that, you know, feels they have to deal with the police force in a certain way, the overall crime rate. Um, Catherine, you're a citizen down there. The crime rate is up, and, and there's probably different reasons for that, and some of them are comp- completely out of Mayor Bottoms' um, control. How are citizens uh, thinking about the crime rate? Oh, if you on my on my uh, uh, what's it called front door? That's not the name of it. Whatever the I know next door. Oh well, that app is next that's door. The whole, on my on yeah. my next door. It's a constant attack on Mayor Bottoms about the crime rate. Constant. It's like constant. Um, I you know the crime rate is is up. It's up across the country, but the spike in Atlanta is more dramatic. Um, I, I tend to uh, tend to agree with you that uh, I'm not sure how much the mayor has to do with that, but I think that what they do have some control of is their response and their uh, at least appearance of concern. And I think there's a lot of people who feel like she isn't um, grasping as it as strongly or as diligently as she could. Um, yeah. I, I tend to think, I mean, this has been a terrible year and for Atlanta and, and I think there's a lot of divisiveness between the governor's office and the state legislature and Atlanta. And I can only imagine how hard that was for her. And uh, I, I I mean, I can, I I can sympathize. I, I saw one opinion that was, well, why would she stay? You know, what, what, the question is not why is she leaving, but why would she stay? Um, I, 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 I do think the crime rate is a problem, and I think that is really the thing that the that is going to be the most important issue in this election is how candidates. Uh, talk about how they're going to solve it or at least uh, remediate some of it. And I'm not sure, like you said, how much they really have power over that. Well, I mean, and and I know a lot of people see it as a binary choice, or some do uh, on some level, and it shouldn't be. But what if it is where you pit, you know, social justice reforms against um, the rising crime rate. I mean, people, if people see it as an either-or choice, are they like, well, uh, forget all this defunding the police, let's crack down on crime, or are people saying, well, look at this moment in time. We, even if we have more crime, we have to you know, have more social justice. Is there going to be a 
two competing forces that have friction over that dynamic. Well, I mean, that's that. Yes, people are going to say that, but that's not. I mean, it's not an accurate um, evaluation. I mean, it's not a. It's not an either or, and. I think a, a leader's responsibility is to explain that, not buy into it. Tim, your thoughts on that? Because that dynamic could happen anywhere in America, not just Atlanta. Yeah, it could. Um, I, I was sitting here thinking maybe we'll never know everything about this, about, you know, why this ended up the way it ended up. Maybe she had just had enough. Is that yeah. just all of this together? Maybe she had just had enough. How about that? Yeah. I mean and if she if she does her four years, she she served her term out. She she kept her commitment to the voters. Um yeah. and then another thing you know, we mentioned that, you know, she was a strong supporter of Joe Biden and Joe Biden was, you know, thought a, a, a whole lot of her too. Now, she wanted, you know, apparently she had been, you know, looking at possibly getting appointed to some jobs, and the ambassadorship to the Bahamas was reportedly offered. That's the rumor we've heard. Now, if she really was like, I just don't know, I, I may, she's kind of waffling at that point on running for reelection. You know, it's it's a undecided, or, or her heart's not fully into it, as we found out um, this past week. Why wouldn't she think longer and harder about that ambassadorship? Is it the most prestigious? Absolutely not. Is it an incredible location in which to spend, oh, roughly four years of your life? Mm, I'm kind of thinking so. Uh, Catherine, is has any more thought been put into why she might have um, turned down that? Or if, if nothing else said, well, maybe not Bahamas, but X country. I, I think she. I, I think she loves Atlanta. I don't think she would have left in the middle of a term. And I mean, honestly, the, uh, an ambassadorship to the Bahamas, while it sounds like a luxurious uh, destination, it's not a very meaty uh, position. And, it, and she's interested in policy. I don't. I think it. Uh, I mean, I think that's a uh, ambassadorship for someone who's older and uh, maybe at the end of their career, not in the middle of their career. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. You know, I went to Georgia State the same time, her and her husband. I don't know if I'm older. I know I'm around the same age, but I am close to the end of my career teaching. So if they need somebody, I'm willing and able. I don't know if I'm able. I'm just willing. Um, I, I mean, I'm serious. It really sounds like a way to get out. It, you know, you do it for a few years, and then you figure out the next thing, and, and you save face. You've, you've taken this other job. So if you did want to run for something else, well, I was mayor of Atlanta, and then I, they promoted me, say promoted. They promoted me to be ambassador under the Biden administration. You wouldn't have to say Bahamas. You could say, oh, I got you know, ambassadorship, and then you can come back and run for something. That's my next question as we're discussing her and her career. Does this preclude her from running for – I mean, I know she can, but does this hurt her prospects if she, say, wanted to run for governor of Georgia and, you know, some term in the future, not this time, but down the line? What do you think, Jim? 
Yeah, I think it does, Herder. Uh, you, you need a base from which to do something, and she is going to be out of the public eye. And generally, when you get out of the public eye and the voters don't see a lot of you, they tend to forget about you. And really quickly, especially in a state where we are gathering a, a suddenly deepening Democratic bench, um, I, 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 don't, I don't see how uh, this move helps her for future political prospects. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, your thoughts? Uh, I, I tend to agree that it doesn't hurt, help her. I'm not sure how much it hurts her depending on what she does next. You know, she could, I mean, there, there still could be a position for her in the Biden administration. There still could be a position for her as an appointee at some level, or she could decide to run for something. I don't know what it would be. Um, or she could get a visible job in the nonprofit or corporate world that would give her some additional visibility. So, I agree that it doesn't help her. I'm not sure how much it hurts her, though. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see because I could see a scenario in which, um, you know, she, um, uh, you know, wants to run, say, in 2026 because could it be that these voting reforms hurt Democrats' chances in 2022, but then long-term demographic change just takes over in 2026? Possibly so, and you would think in that case she might be, um, if she was, I guess, maybe just finishing or uh, at the end of her time as, um, or just finished her time as Atlanta mayor, that she could be in a situation where it would work. But uh, who knows now? Um, well, let's go ahead and um, talk about the next thing. I know that she did have an opponent, Felicia Moore, who's on the city council. It didn't seem like that was going to be the the opposition that would necessarily defeat her, but now Felicia Moore is in this race, has already been running, and now she's the only candidate in the race. Uh, Catherine, what are folks' no. thoughts on Felicia Moore? Are, are there more there, candidates that have, have announced? Yeah, there's another woman. Uh, her last name is Gay, G-A-Y. I can't remember her first name. Uh, she's a longtime attorney, uh, wealthy, large donor to Democratic uh, Party and other things, and she's running. She doesn't have very good name recognition, obviously, because I can't remember her first name. So Felicia um, Moore is the most, yeah, established candidate. Yeah, yeah I think I actually do think Felicia Moore was going to give Keisha a run for her money. Um, she's very well-liked. She's got a lot of experience. She's um, – it has a really good reputation for constituency services. Uh, I'll tell you that I've called her. I've called her office before and always gotten good responses for on my questions. Um, so I think she was going to give uh, the mayor a pretty good run for her money. Uh, like I said, a lot of people are. Um, there's a lot of people who are upset with uh, with the mayor about crime, and I think. Uh, I, well, I haven't heard Felicia Moore's. Uh, you know, responses on crime, I think people were looking for a change. So I think she was going to give her a run for her money. Um, who knows, you know, who else might run? I'm sure that's going to be our next topic. 
Well, it will be to a point, but now let me ask you something before I ask Tim uh, about um, Felicia Moore. Now, Felicia Moore, one of the um, issues she really started to run on was crime, um, and she's an African-American woman. How is she balancing that, you know, new day in social justice, rising crime, and stemming the crime rate? How, how is she, you know, navigating that? I don't know. But I think it's a I think it's a mistake to connect uh, that as a either or situation. Well, that doesn't have to be an either or, but you have to have some type of messaging. I mean, that's we, ha- we you know you have to message on one or the other. I, I mean, I, I I'm going to do this and this is going to happen. I mean, you've got to put together a narrative to which people are and maybe in both. You know, groups or what have you are feel like they're being answered. Are people that want both? I mean, I know in a, a magical world, there's no crime and there's never any of this. And but how do you get there? I mean, you have to have a plan. Yeah, I don't know what her plan is. No. Okay, Tim, your thoughts on um, Felicia Morse candidacy since she's the first, maybe higher profile <laughs> candidate um, that's in the race. Well, it is true that that uh, the major issue she was going to talk about was crime, but I think she's been pretty general about it. Um, there were, you know, some talk about, you know, different things to do with public safety and the police and that sort of thing. But I don't think she's just come out with a, you know, detailed plan on how to address the rising crime situation Uh I, th- I think it was just uh, when she was figuring that the mayor was going to be her primary opposition, well, crime was a convenient, you know, thing to go at the mayor with, of course, and her handling of it. Uh, how she plans to handle it herself is quite another thing. Uh, I'd heard some more names, by the way, that people that are looking at this race. Do you want those now? Or Yeah, go ahead and start telling us some names. And if you want to do them one at a time well, and get Catherine and my thoughts and give your own, that's fine. Well, no, I'll just throw three out there at you because I believe all of these folks are on the city council. Of course, we know a lot of people that run for mayor in Atlanta are on the city council. I mean, Felicia Moore's president of the city council of, but Antonio Brown, uh, Mayor uh, Faroki, and uh, Andre Dickens. Uh, all of those have been mentioned prominently as possible candidates, and I'm sure the talk will be heavier now that the race is wide open. Uh, I figure there'll be multiple candidates, but at least one or two of these three will probably get in the race. Yeah, and, and I guess this is not the same Antonio Brown that plays wide receivers for the Steelers and Buccaneers and other teams, uh, no, a different no. gentleman. <laughs> um, Catherine, have you heard much uh, buzz around any of those three names in Mayor? Well, Antonio Brown has been talking about it for a while. Um, he's my uh, city council person. He's got a lot of uh, baggage, though. I mean, he's. I think he's currently – either in an, under indictment or under investigation for some financial um, huh. shenanigans. And I don't think he's, I mean, 
I don't. I, I just don't know that he's really got the juice to run. I hadn't heard about Amir or Andre. Both are friends of mine. Um, I would kind of be surprised to think that Amir. I mean, this is only Amir's first term. He's finishing his first term as a city council member. He just had a child. I'm, I would be kind of surprised that he would run for mayor. Andre is kind of a natural uh, um, for that to run. He was very close uh, with Shirley Franklin and also very close to uh, Keisha Lance Bottom. So I think, and he's a great guy and, and would be a, probably be a very good mayor. Um, there's other names out there too uh, that I'm sure, I'm sure we can all imagine. There's been um, talk that uh, former Mayor Kasim Reed might jump in the race. Um, he apparently was on t- on the radio last week and was pretty critical of uh, Mayor Bottoms, which is kind of a surprise because they had been quite close when he was uh, mayor. And then uh, there's always the wonder, always wondering if Mary Norwood would um, pop back up and run though some think that she w- is sort of waiting to see if anything happens with the uh, proposal that Buckhead become a separate city and then she would be a natural for the mayor of Buckhead and then I, I can't help but wonder if uh, Vincent Fort would uh, be interested in running again so those are the yeah. and then a lot of people a lot of people have mentioned Kathy Willard, but I just don't think Kathy's ready well, to run. Or, or let's real quickly, yeah, let's real quickly talk about uh, Mary Norwood. Um, Mary Norwood, prior to uh, probably a year, year and a half ago, before she kind of really endorsed a lot of Trump policies and, and what have you, I, I think she was seen a different way. And now, I mean, after her support of – I believe she just came out and supported Trump uh, at times – I just don't think that she would get anywhere. Um, even the Salada support she used to have, I think she would have tough trouble getting. I don't even know that she would win the mayor of Buckhead if if um, she was that closely associated <laughs> with Donald Trump. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I think she's ruined. Uh, just yeah. just being associated with Trump in Atlanta of all places, anywhere else in Georgia, you know, Atlanta. No, she's done. Yeah, politics. Any different take on Mary Norwood after um, the past year? Well, I I, I agree that um, for all appearances she seems to be done, but uh, people can be very loyal and uh, overlook things uh, with the proper messaging. So uh, I wouldn't call her out, but I do think it's a, it will it will be a challenge for her. Should she decide to run? Yeah, and let's. You mentioned Amir Faroqi, and I'm going to kind of wrap this into a more global question. And and I know Amir. I worked on his uh, mother's um, uh, races, political races, and worked through Amir. I think he's a great guy. He is a man of color, but he's not African American. In this moment in which crime and then people are going to look at social justice issues, do y'all think that? An African American is probably, given these issues in this moment in time, probably going to be the person that um, wins the mayor of Atlanta's race in 2021. Um, 
Kim? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the you know the the mere numbers, sixty uh, percent of your vote is going to be African American at least, and uh, they 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 generally will 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 vote for a, a good qualified African American candidate city, and that's that's been the recent history. And I believe that's the way it will stay. It it would uh, it would take some sort of perfect storm to to see any other outcome. I believe. Well, right now. And I think and I think even if I four years ago or in the future, I see an Atlanta in which you can have a non-African American mayor. This race in this moment at time, it seems like a I'll just for lack of a better word, trickier deal. Um, Catherine, your thoughts? Uh, I, I think I agree that um, an African-American probably has a better chance of winning. And, I mean, it makes sense. It's a predominantly African-American city. Um, but I, I, I think, um, like always, it depends on the candidate. And... Uh, I think that a qualified uh, white person or person or Asian American or uh, uh, Latino could win if if they ran the proper a proper campaign. I I don't think we can you know call it out as impossible. I just think it's likely. Yeah, I just, you know, I come from the world of education. If you had a school that had a diverse student body and you had people saying, well, you know, there's not good school discipline in that school, and people are saying that. But then at the same time, you had, in this case, African-American parents that said the African-American students are being disciplined too harshly. If you were going to try to fix that, you'd probably say, let's get an African-American principal that's tough on discipline. That way he can say, my kids are African-American, my parents are African-American, I'm African-American, but I know we have to have good discipline. And so I think with crime, you've got the same situation there. You've got somebody, somebody say, look, we're going to have to solve this crime problem, but at the same time, we're going to have to do a way that respects all races and treats all races equally. And that message is far easier from an African-American messenger than anyone else because that's the time. Down the road, the crime may get better, and then you look at another set of issues – that become more important, and then, you know, a person of another race uh, could be the fit for that time. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, Mayor Reed. Um, you know, he came, you know, back in. It was very funny because his interview was prior to the announcement, like the morning before. Um, he, he had a high-profile interview talking about Atlanta's crime rate. Um, Catherine, since you're there, what's your thoughts on uh, Mayor Reed running again? Oh, I I can't even think about it. <laughs> I don't. Well, I think it's a bad idea. Well, I mean, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what I read on social media, and of course, that's the the all the you know all the great information comes from there, uh, saying just. But this was actually apparently researched information that when he um, left, the city of Atlanta had a 200. Um, a million dollar surplus. When you talk about government money, you begin to look. What numbers are those? Uh, they had a surplus, 
and the crime rate was the lowest in over 40 years. So, I mean, if managing the budget, managing crime, he had two things going for him, two pretty important things. If people said, well, look, we're going to get the budget back in, in tow, and we're going to um, get the crime rate back where it was under Mayor Reed, why would that not be um, desirable for Atlanta? Well, I don't think that uh, what the city was like four years ago is the same as what the city is like now, number one. Number two, I'm, I would, I'm suspicious of those numbers. Uh, I'm not saying he was lying. I'm just a little suspicious. I'd like to see some backup for that. And um, I just I, – I think that it's – being the mayor is more than solving those kinds of problems. I think we saw that with um, Mayor Bottoms. We saw someone who was able to talk to people and uh, was um, – but I, I'm just not – I'm not a fan of um, of Kasim Reeds. I don't think he was uh, a very good leader and – I would I would rather he not run and be the uh, – uh, that's all I'm going to say. I'd just rather he didn't run. Well, Tim, if he runs, will he win? Uh, I'm not going to dismiss him. I mean, he knows how to win. He's, he's former mayor down there. Of course, one thing he is going to have to deal with is there were quite a few, shall we say, shenanigans that went on during his administration. We all know it. And uh, his detractors are going to bring those things up, and he's going to have to have some answers ready for them. And how well he does may depend on how well he deals with that situation. Yeah, the, the same thing that I read, that, and, and it was somebody, probably one of his big supporters, said, you know, that the investigation is concluded and they found him, um, you know, guilty of nothing. Um, now, there was a lot of smoke, and smoke never looks good, no doubt about it. Right. Um, but but right. I do think that that's, that's going to be the defense, and the defense is going to say crime was down. Crime was, and, and when you say lowest in 40 years, I guess that's going back to 1977. And, you know, and so and knowing how the crime rate had to do with baby boomers, I'm surprised it wasn't the lowest in like 50 or 60 years. Because if you know about crime policy, once the baby boomers started becoming of crime age, and it's nothing against that generation of people. It's just that there was a lot of people in that generation that there was more crime just because there was more people in that age. Free economics had this interesting thing. And, I mean, it's kind of – it's kind of a defense of people. It's not like people were bad. It was just there was a lot of people that were of a certain age, and they aged out of crime rate, and crime dropped. And, you know, we did all these things where we put more people in jail than we should have because crime exploded, and we didn't know what to do. And now, you know, we have more people in jail than we ever should. We don't have as much crime because we don't have the crime committers in the right age. Um, and so when I look at that, you're like, well, that, that's pretty impressive. Um, well, Catherine – you may not like Kasim Reed, but do you think a plurality and or in a runoff situation, a majority of voters would support Kasim Reed? No, I don't think so. 
I I don't know. I, I'll be interested to see polling in this race, and if polling with him showed him in the with a plurality lead with say five candidates, I would not be shocked um, because a lot of times in politics, and we've talked about this old rule before, in a race you have to say what are people wanting that they're not getting. And Catherine, you're telling me that a lot of neighbors of yours are not getting what they want in the area of crime. Well, if Kasim Reed has the best record on crime going back so many mayors, then he might be the answer to what people are not getting. Um, and basically, I think I said you might take this back to, um, you know, Sam Mazzell or um, – what am I, th- uh, Ivan Allen or something. That's a totally different Atlanta you're dealing with than the Atlanta of today. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. And I, it, and I don't, what are the rules? You can only serve two consecutive terms, but then you can come back. Cause I know Maynard Jackson served at least three terms. He may have served four. Yeah. Do you know uh, that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what it is. You can only serve two consecutive terms, but you, you can serve multiple terms. If, if you, you know, skip a term, come back, skip, five terms and come back. You can do that in Atlanta. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of cities, just like the Cleveland mayor, serve five terms, and he actually has a very um, sad and, and uh, strange case going on involving his grandson in crime. He served five terms. A lot of times mayors will serve time after time after time, irregardless or regardless of whoever we're talking about as mayor. Catherine, do you think Atlanta should be able to have uh, somebody served three or four terms if everybody likes them and they're doing a good job. Yeah, I don't believe in term limits. Yeah. yeah I mean, Mayor Jackson may have been – Yeah, you might not even had Andrew Young as mayor, and he did some amazing things, but Mayor Jackson may have just kept on winning and serving um, way back when. Well, um, yeah. interesting discussion. Uh, you know, we had about five topics. We aren't going to get to five topics, but let's try to stop this one. I'm sure we'll revisit it as the race continues. We get to get polling and more candidates. Uh, but, Tim, you had an outrage, so go ahead with your outrage of the week. Yeah, well, I wasn't planning on having one, and somebody opened their mouth and turned uh, pretty much a non-issue into the biggest national political issue of the week. I, I normally use this segment, by the way, to bash Republicans in some form, and I'm going to do some of that today. But I will also be using some dialogue to address uh, what will no make that scold some Democrats in Washington, D.C. I know Joe Biden's history in politics. I, I know that he spent 36 years in the U.S. Senate. I know about his history of deal-making. I know that's what he believes in. And I know that he entered the office of president with every intention of working across the aisle, as he once did, uh, case in point, his upcoming meeting with Republican senators this week. It's admirable of him to, to, you know, to see such behavior in these times. Consensus building is what he has been accustomed to, and he was pretty good at it. But now to the next paragraph. The president is wasting his time. The same goes for Joe Manchin over in the Senate, who says he wants to, quote, find common ground. And further, any overtures made by Democratic leadership to the other side is, as the Cowboys would put it, burning daylight. Two months back, a much-needed and very 
popular COVID relief bill was passed into law to the overwhelming approval of delighted Americans who really needed the assistance. And not one Republican in Congress voted for passage, not not one. They were, as we saw just this past week, more than happy to brag about all the goodies that their constituents got from the new law, uh, but, but they, they, none of them vote for it, and it wasn't going to. Think about this for a moment, about what I just said. This law came into being because we are in a global pandemic that has killed hundreds of thousands of people in this country, devastated our economy, and shut practically everything public down for a year. And uh, one Republican lawmaker on the Hill would vote for it because a Democratic president was supporting its passage. On this one example by itself, what would lead Democrats to think that Republicans are going to work with them on any major issue? Four days ago, Mitch McConnell was asked by reporters in Kentucky about the House GOP leadership feud and the divisions in the party. And his answer, which had nothing to do with what he was just asked, was, quote, 100% of our focus is on stopping this new administration. He then went on to claim that Biden is trying to turn America into a socialist country or some malarkey. This is the same McConnell who in 2010 said, the single most important thing we want to achieve is for President Obama to be a one-term president. He meant that then. He also meant what he said Thursday. So President Biden and congressional Democrats should not even seek to try and convince Republicans to support the next big thing, which is the infrastructure uh, bill. Just use reconciliation. Get rid of the filibuster pass the thing. It it would take 10 GOP senators to sign on, as it now stands, just to get the bill to the floor for debate. That's not going to happen, so ram it through without them. Good grief. Democrats can't even get the GOP on board right now with creating a commission to investigate the January 6th Capitol insurrection. New Kevin McCarthy, among others, will only agree if the commission investigates all unrest from last year with a special focus on Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Of course, that's a non-starter, and he knows it. Well, then convenient without his support. He doesn't want to work with Democrats on anything anyway. Now, here's my idea. Democrats have the House, the Senate, and the presidency. They should just go ahead and pass their program. It's foolish to think that if the roles were reversed, that the GOP would not do so. They proved that while Trump was in the White House. They obstruct when Democrats are in charge. They proved that, too. Just ask Merrick Garland or former President Obama. I'm, I'm sure they'll confirm it. We've got to be realistic, Democrats. There's no bipartisanship. There hasn't really been any for over a decade. Our system was frayed. Trump finished breaking it. It's more like a war now. Treat it like one or lose. Two choices, Democrats. Make one. David. 
Yes, I mean, it's a sad state of affairs that um, you can't get together on more issues, but you can't, you know, trade issues off. You can't find compromise, but compromise and bipartisanship are just dirty words, uh, in particularly in the Republican uh, caucus. And so well, what, um, should that, what should we do then? I think you have to decide the most important things because you may not get all of them in. And the ones that will have the biggest long-term impact, and I think uh, voting uh, voting rights um, you know, legislation should be one of the top. If not the top, it should be the one you try to get in, infrastructure bill up high um, as well. And then you push those through and see how far you can get. And I don't know if you all noticed, but um, Joe Biden's been running commercials that are – campaign-esque commercials, I guess, to keep his popularity high, not for his popularity, but to keep programs moving. Um, they ran, I think, a 60-second one and early on in Saturday Night Live. Catherine, did you see that? Kim, you went um, Yes. Oh, okay. I, I, saw, yeah. I saw that. I've seen that commercial. I didn't see it on Saturday Night Live. But it is just like a nice promotion of all the good things that uh, the administration has done so far. Yeah, because I think that's the key is because the majorities are so slim in the House and the Senate, you've got to keep every Democrat on board um, or else you can't pass anything. Um, so therefore, the more popular uh, you know, Joe Biden is, the more likely you're going to get those really pretty small handful well, of House members that might leave. But then, of course, you know, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, I mean, you they pretty much have to uh, – give their approval on anything um, to get it what, passed. What do, you, what do you think we should be willing to do to get our program passed? Go forward with no Republican support? Uh, try to do away with the filibuster? Yeah. What, and I, th- what? I think you have to go, you know, you have to get just the bare 50 plus one in the Senate. You know, our majority, I think, is down in single digits in the House. Just get it where you can, use reconciliation. And the filibuster, I mean, like I've told you all before, if you didn't have the filibuster, would you invent it? I don't think many people would. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't come of it out of thin air if it didn't exist, so why protect it? So I'm more of a fan of the parliamentary system of government anyway. I think it's the way you get things done. I mean, you know, if I were reimagined government, I would do something more like, you know, Britain has, where you – have part one party of total control, and then when people stop, you know, following that agenda, they change, and you switch governments, and you go the other way. And I'm sure you do waste some time going back and forth at times, but eventually, you you know, people pick a certain direction, and they go with it. <coughs> so, you know, we shall see. I mean, this is just a, a long-term thing building, like you said, Tim. Been at least ten years. Um, we got a little more time. Uh, let's talk about the um, Florida governor's race. Uh, you know, we did a buy-sell hold the other week with one candidate in two races, Val Demings. Well, Charlie Crist, congressman and former governor of Florida, has announced uh, for you know running for the governor of Florida. Um, Catherine, buy-sell hold Charlie Crist's chances for governor of Florida. I'm going to say hold. I'd like to see how 
how the voters react. I don't know if we see any polls or whatever. I just wonder how people feel about him. He seems, uh, you know, back and forth. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm an independent. Blah, blah, blah. I just wonder if maybe they'd like to see him stay in Congress for a while and do some work. Okay, Tim, buy, sell, hold on Charlie Crist. Well, let let me uh, preface that by saying one reason Charlie Chris might have jumped to this race is, you know, there will be redistricting. He's in a swing district, and there's talk that the Republicans would dearly love to draw him out of his district if possible. That being said, right now I'm kind of tempted to sell because DeSantis is really going to be hard to beat, but. Chris has been governor before. I, I can't discount that. I'm going to agree with Catherine and do a hold. we got to remember that DeSantis previously won by, what, four-tenths of one percent. That was about 30,000 votes. Uh, he's, he's tough. He's not invincible. What do you think, David? I was thinking you're going to sell Catherine because hold it. I was going to buy. I'm going to buy. And I'm going to buy for one of the reasons you said. I mean, he may not be have a congressional seat to serve in anyway. Um, I, he may could win that, but I mean, he's not getting any younger. He, the first time I ever remember seeing him, he looked kind of old. So I mean, he's obviously there. He is seen as that moderate. Um, DeSantis does not look like this incredibly ripe target. Therefore, if you take somebody like a Nikki Freed, who's their agriculture commissioner, who is younger, and she runs and she loses, you kind of wasted her, if you will. Um, where she might be a more dynamic, exciting candidate, but if she runs, she's young, she's, you know, maybe not done, but that's not going to be good. Whereas, you know, Charlie Crisp been governor. He was a Republican at the time. Then he switched to independent. Now he's a Democrat. Serves in the House. If he runs and you lose him, the next person's probably you know there to you know run for that Tampa seat in whatever form it is in the future. You can run somebody like Nikki Freed in the in the future uh, for governor when DeSantis is not there. And if you're going to beat DeSantis, you're going to have to get people to switch from DeSantis to the Democrat. And Charlie Crist may be more of the profile to do that than more of the dynamic progressive Democrats. Somebody might say, well, I didn't like this or that about um, DeSantis, but Chris seems safe. You know, when he was in charge of Florida, it, you know, we didn't fall off into the ocean. We were okay. Um, maybe this is a way to say no to DeSantis-Trump but not say yes to the socialist, radical left. You know how they'll do all that messaging, particularly in uh, South Florida to the Cuban voters. Um, and, and that's another thing. How are his ties to the Cuban community? I don't know, but I'd like to see, and if they were solid, could that be a feather in his cap? Tim, do you know? Uh no, I, I don't know how solid those ties were, but, you know, you got to remember, he knows how to win a statewide race. He's done it. Um, so he had to have some Cuban support, especially in the Republican Party. I don't know how that support, though, would transfer uh, since, you know, uh, the congressman switched parties. 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a new um, profile of his voters, um, but but it's it's worth seeing. I mean, and he's announced. I guess some. I think there was some polling came out. And it wasn't terrible. I, I I do not understand for the life of me why Ron DeSantis is, is as popular as he is. Um, you know, I, I I don't get it. Um, but he is, and so we have to, you know, run in the um, profile, the state, and the the race we're given. Um, well, let's go ahead, and, and I wanted to talk about Virginia, but I don't think we know enough about the results, whereas next week I think we're going to know a lot about this crazy convention they had up there on the Republicans in Virginia and see what's there. So let's wait for that. And a race that happened, I guess, last Saturday, but we really didn't know all the implications Sunday, so we didn't discuss it. There was a special House race, and people thought it was going to be a Democrat, it was going to be um, – a Republican, and it ended up being two Republicans, one Susan Wright, um, uh, who's the widow of Ron Wright, who served before, and then another candidate. The Democrats get locked out of the seat, and more postmortems been done since then, and it really just doesn't look good for the party and the DCCC and all involved. Um, Catherine, how stunning was that that um, you know we didn't even make the runoff? You're talking about Texas, right? Texas. Yeah. Um, well, I think it was pretty stunning when you look at the, you know, we had a lot of candidates running. So did they. So I mean, that's not the only excuse, but um, I think name recognition for right made a probably had a big impact. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a loss, and it's something that we need to reflect on and do some, you know, examinations of what we did and what we could have done differently and what could have been more successful. But I don't think it's as quite as much of a death knell as uh, some of the columnists and commentators are saying. Well, if it's not replicated, if it's a sign of something bigger, I guess that's the, the trick there. Tim? Well, uh, there were 23 candidates in this race, 12 Republicans, one ND, and uh, 10 Democrats. Now, uh, John Lynn Sanchez, our leading candidate, missed that runoff by 354 votes. 40% of the vote in, in, in this first round was Democratic. The leader... Susan Wright got less than 20%. Nobody even got out of the teens. We easily should have made this runoff. We just had too many candidates in the race splitting up the pie. And, uh, yeah, the, the DCCC uh, dropped the ball on this one. Uh, this district, uh, Trump only won this district by 3%. This district has been trending blue for several cycles. Democrats missed a golden opportunity to flip flip this one, guys. And it's going to be tougher to flip it when we're facing an incumbent next year than it would have been right now when it's open. Yeah, and, that, and that's another thing I want to um, talk to you all about is 
Texas is obviously not trending as Democratic as fast as Virginia did, as Georgia did, as Arizona did, um, but it is trending that way. And it's trending that way near Dallas, near Fort Worth, north near Houston, San Antonio, Austin, um, all the cities. And that's where the growth's going to be. And, and they can't just put districts out in the tumbleweeds because that's where it's Republican. They're going to have to you know, draw it near people. They're getting two seats, not just one. Are they going to be able to strengthen all of these Republican-held seats currently and draw the two new districts for Democrat I'm sorry, for Republicans as well, or is that just too much math to stretch, Tim? I tell you, they're gonna try very, very hard to do it anyway, David, because the way things are going, this genuinely uh this round of redistricting might be the last chance for the Republicans for, I don't know, maybe a generation to affect this kind of change uh, to help themselves to power like this. This this might be their very last opportunity. So I, I, I can see nothing for them to do but to try very, very hard to uh, do it anyway. They just cluster the Democrats if they can in those cities uh, and, and hope they can make it through another round of redistricting and don't have to worry about it for 10 years. Yeah, I mean, Catherine, I, my, my thinking is is you may make some Republican districts for 2022, but by 2028, they've created seven problems instead of, say, two problems if they just say, forget it, let's just give the Democrats those. Yeah, I don't think they're going to think about it that way. I think they're going to think, you know, whatever we can get, we got to get now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I agree, I, mean, I, uh, I, no. I agree 100% with what Tim said. They are, you know, going to do whatever they can to hold yeah. on to uh, as much power as they can for as long as they can. And to me, it's a, a dilemma that, that Republicans are going to face all across the Sun Belt in particular. It's where the places that are growing are going to trend more Democratic over time, and that's where they've got to put people in. And so they may figure out little ways, like in Georgia, six and seven, they can make one Republican and one Democratic, or they could try to figure out how to make both Republican. But if they make both Republican, they're going to make trouble for themselves over time. I don't know the Texas map, obviously, as well. Yeah. And the same thing in Florida. You know, if they try to go get that Charlie Chris district, the Tampa area is growing and it's becoming more Democratic. Um, you right. know, it's. It's a long-term or a short-term fix, whichever they choose, but, and they're going to have to choose one. But this is the party of Donald Trump. The mindset is win everything now. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. That, that, that is their mindset, yeah. win everything now because that's what Donald Trump wants right now. Not yeah. eight years from now. He don't care about the long-term outlook of the Republican Party. This is the Donald Trump Party doing this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if y'all have heard of the psychological test, the marshmallow test, but I have no doubt Donald Trump would not pass the marshmallow test. And that <laughs> is, if you don't know what it is, it's the ability to withhold gratification. Can I put right. off 
short-term good for long or better long-term good. And and he, that's not his modus operandi. It's I want it now. I want it me, 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 um, immediacy. And so you're right. And, and as long as they've thrown in with that, and you know there are people in the Republican Party that probably would do quite well at the marshmallow test. They would understand the longer term and the bigger picture, but they're headed by this individual that's not in their long-term interest by any means. Well, um, once again, hope that uh, Evan Scrimshaw continues to heal and get back with us probably in the early in the month of June. Uh, next week, we're quite excited um, from Political Wire, David Jonas, who writes all those incredible special pieces for Political Wire, is going to come on the show He's going to talk about a lot of them, including he lives in Virginia, and he's written at least, uh, I believe, two in recent months about Virginia. And so we can ask him uh, more about these results that are just slowly trickling in from the GOP caucus up there. But until then, been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, night, y'all. Everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America still be a force.